Two Moms Media and Your Daily Local and more in PA, this is Smoke, The Disappearance of Damien Sharp. We're asking for the help of anyone who might be walking, hiking, riding ATVs, motorcycles, or hunting in the woods of Pennsylvania. Damien Mark Sharp, white male, 22, 5 foot 7, 170 pounds, hazel eyes, blonde hair, possibly using crutches, was last seen in the city of Warren on May 25th, 2002. If you come across any type of clothing, shoes, crutches, or remains, we are asking that you contact the nearest law enforcement agency. We are also asking that you do not pick up anything that you find. Leave it where and how you found it, and either leave someone at the site where it is found, or mark the area and then take the police back to the site where it was found. Anyone with information about Damien Mark Sharp should contact the Warren City Police Department at 814-723-2700, Crime Stoppers, or 814-968-3394, which is the phone number. That's the information the Times Observer, Warren's local newspaper, got from John Herzog on October 11, 2002. Using it, reporter Ellen Krenick got a story published the following day, October 12th, headed, Assistance Sought in Search. As an independent journalist, stories like these are dangerous and there's a reason not a lot of people take them on. The same reasons newspapers don't even consider this level of investigation if they do decide to approve investigative pieces. They are time and resource consuming. They are gluttons, ravenous monsters with insatiable appetites for editorial and financial budgets, time to run down people, collect statements, compile notes, like the ones we're going through here. It's also important to acknowledge that it's not just editors and publishers, but also police chiefs and their officers who decide what the paper has to justify any story at all. The better their relationship, not the friendlier, but the healthier, the healthier your daily news. Just keep that in mind as you're reading, kids. We left off at the end of the last episode on Wednesday, October 9th, 2002. Retired Pennsylvania State Police Detective John Herzog, hired by Damien's mom, Janine Shanahan, had been working his new case for just two weeks. He'd laid his groundwork and taken a lay of the land, whatever lay could be taken, anyhow. The landscape of Damien's disappearance is kind of like a Salvador Dali painting or a fever dream. Damien loved Salvador Dali, his sister Jamie once told me. It makes absolute sense. Anyway, Herzog struck out on that interview with Jess, the one we left off on. That's why page 23 is missing, it would seem, as of right now. But I've been trying to see if I could get a word with her, so I'll keep you posted if that works out. Herzog set out that Monday, October 14th, stopping at the City of Warren Police Department to get his news release approved from them before showing it to Ellen. One level of processing before you, the public, saw that raw document. Just pointing that out again. Herzog then stopped at Dave's house on Water Street. Finding Dave not at home, he wrapped up the day with some information regarding the Pat situation. I did some checking on Pat's arrest and how much money was reported stolen by the victim. I was advised that uh, they only reported $400 in cash had been stolen, and the date of the theft was May 25th, 2002. It was to have occurred between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. and was the only reported theft by that victim. 
That morning, before Herzog went to see Dave, Dana and Janine called him to let him know that they were headed to Kane and maybe Bradford to wallpaper the streets with Damien's name, printed on three new flyers they'd had made. Herzog said he'd put a copy of each in the report. They're not here, but I have no idea what kind of media they were printed on. They may have been included or just given as a supplement to the report and therefore not kept with the file. Either way, they're not here, but that doesn't concern me, really, except that I just want to see them. Because ephemera is better than drugs to me. I'm so weird. While Damien's family worked to get the word out to surrounding communities about his disappearance that fall, Herzog continued to work through the list of people he wanted to talk to, and next up was Dave. Dave is the inciting incident for this entire case, kind of. He is the first person to actually get a hold of any of the family members to tell them that Damien was unaccounted for. I spoke with him first in September of 2021, after reaching out to Damien's brother Steve the previous August. I used my very first search on a fresh Been Verified subscription to look him up. One of the hard things with this case is when you come up against people who don't use social media or who keep their presence there under wraps. Facebook is honestly the first place I go anytime I've got a new character in this story to get acquainted with, but Dave was no dice for social media, so I found an email address and sent off a note. And that was on September 15th. A few times throughout this project, I've told someone who I'm going to talk to next, and they laugh and tell me good luck. They'll never talk to you. I remember the first time I told Dana that I had already spoken with Stephen. Her eyes widened. She was surprised that he would even talk with me after the experiences she knew he claimed to have had with police before moving out of state. Dave was another one that people said I'd never get a word back from, but Dana was strong in her suggestion the first time we spoke that I reach out to him. He was Damien's best friend, she told me. If anyone was going to talk to me, she hoped it would be him. And it was. I got word back from Dave on September 22nd. I asked Dave how the two of them met. It was Dave's freshman year of high school, he said. His family had just moved to Beach Street, the same street Albert lived on when Herzog was talking to him at the jail in the last episode. Damien already had a good group of friends in the neighborhood, Dave told me, and Damien helped establish Dave within his existing friend group. We were all pretty close through high school, he told me, running around, causing mischief, playing D&D, hanging out at the mall. Dave and Damien became so close to that point, he told me, that he considered Damien his best friend and figured Damien felt the same way about him. We always sat at the same table at lunch, Dave told me. We hung out in the same groups of people. He was big into lifting weights and death metal, playing electric guitar. He had a friend named Death Metal Bob. He definitely had a reputation as a bit of a scrapper, and he got into a few fights over the years, but he got along well with a lot of people, and he was always an extremely loyal friend, a good person to have in your corner. I really do miss him a lot, Dave wrote. Before he disappeared, we spoke often of moving to Pittsburgh together. He wanted to start a band after getting set up in the city. Close friends of Damien's in this story are hard to come by. Dave is one. Another, Danica, saw Damien the day after Dave last saw him. Dave told me from the beginning of this project that he wouldn't give me an on-tape interview. He would help me, he said, but he'd been through a lot of the same thing as Stephen with the police. He just wasn't interested in being on the show, but he'd tell me what he knew. Danica, though, gave me an interview, and she remembered Dave pretty well, in fact. Check this out. Because I worked at Perkins at the time, okay. you know, and of course, like, I would work, like, rotated, like, on third, I was probably on third shift that week, okay. is what it was. Okay. And him and his, a couple of his friends, like Dave, so 
him and Dave would come in like third shift when I was like work and stuff and I'd give them like free coffee and shit. And they would sit there and they'd play like their Dungeons and Dragons or whatever yeah. the hell kind of games they played or whatever, magic or whatever. And they would sit there for hours and hours and hours, like past the time I left in the morning at yeah. like seven, you know? So, I mean, he was like kind of a normal yeah. guy. He I remember doing that drive though, you know, I mean. Did he ever have a car? Anyhow, Dave told me back then in 2021, he moved to Columbus, Ohio after high school and started an electronics program at DeVry University. Damien headed for the Army. At one point, Dave told me, Damien came to Columbus to visit, and he also recalled visiting Damien at Fort Drum, where Damien was stationed. That happened at least once, Dave said, but it's hard to remember the details. Dave said that in 99 or 2000, he moved back to Warren. Not too long after that, Damien finished his enlistment and moved back home. We know Damien came home in July of 2001, so Dave was off by a couple years in his memories, but close. Back home, Dave said, he lived with a couple of friends in his own apartments, first on Buchanan Street, then on Water Street. Damien started on Taft Place at his dad's before moving into an apartment above the bike shop next to Stephen and eventually into the Cedar Street apartment with Stephen. We still hung out very frequently, Dave said, but already their time apart had given them each enough opportunity, it seems, to grow beyond Warren. So rather than the completely overlapping friend groups they shared in high school, Dave told me, their friends weren't always in the same Venn diagrams anymore. Dave remembered a trip to New York City with Damien and another friend, Nate, just before the September 11 attacks on the World Trade Center. We went on a road trip, Dave told me, over a period of two or three days. We spent one night at a hotel in the city. It was August, Dave said. I remember because it was really hot, like 100 degrees, I think. And then one of the biggest historical events of our generation happened pretty quickly after they got home. Nate actually reached out to me at one point, too. It was late when he did, and I didn't have anything else to write on, so I'm actually looking at the notes I took on the phone with Nate, which I scribbled into the margins of Dave's emails. Notebooks of opportunity, you guys, is where it's at. Anyhow. Nate said that Damien traded in his rubber chicken. You guys remember that, the rubber chicken Danica and Dana described him walking through town in season one. He traded that in in New York, Nate said, for a fake hand that he'd get people to shake, leave them holding. Always with the pranks, this guy. Anyhow, I asked Dave if he recalled any rumors, especially any involving himself from the time Damien went missing. And this was in 2021, remember? I'd only been actively talking to people about Damien for a couple of months, so I had a ton of stories from sources like that YouTube video of Janine's, Steven, Dana, and Danica. Other than that, I was relying pretty heavily on the names other sources gave me, the UJS search portal, and newspaper stories. I was still digging my way through the surface of this story, to be honest. I had tons of information and no real way to fact check any of it. I remember hearing a bunch of different rumors back at that time, Dave told me, but they almost all seemed very unlikely to me. Back then, Dave said it was mostly a bunch of 19 and 20-year-old kids wanting to have something to say about the big event that was Damien going missing. I can't remember any of the details of the rumors because I didn't pay much attention because of how silly most of them were, and that most of them came from people who didn't actually know or interact with Damien that much. It was mainly just very sad and also surreal. Dave said. I was 22 or something. I'd grown up most of my life in Warren and people my age just didn't die or go missing. And after a week or more and knowing Damien, he would never leave or abandon his friends and family. 
the only realistic expectation became that something very bad had happened somehow. My best friend since high school was probably dead, Dave wrote. It didn't seem real. It's still hard to wrap my head around. It makes me sad and mad that he didn't get to get married or have kids, to enjoy having a family of his own. He was rough around the edges, but I know for a fact that he was a very good person. He didn't deserve whatever happened to him. Danica, too, had a really similar memory. What he was doing that night or what, who he was at that time, like, I was nobody on the same ever, trajectory. Nobody ever has the right to take anybody else's life because it's not your place to take it. Well, and I mean, anybody can change. You never know what could happen in his life. He could have had a kid. You know, for me, I had kids and it changed my life. And I, yeah, you know, I became a whole different person and I, I learned a lot from that time in my life and I don't regret it, but I changed. And, and yeah. so we don't know what could have happened with him. Oh, absolutely. You know? I think, you know, I think if he... Probably, if he would have had kids, he, he probably would have settled down and been, a, you know, a completely different person. I tell you what, he wouldn't be as dark as he is. Yeah. Or was. I can you know. see him being a really devoted dad. You know what I mean? He probably would have been like the polo wearing kind of guy. Yeah, you think? <laughs> in the blonde, spiky hair, you know, <laughs> kind of like what Steve looks like in a way, you know. Okay. All right. So yeah, so he wouldn't have been like that, but he wasn't. So Dave and I did that email exchange, which ran through September 28th. Occasionally, I'd reach out after that to Dave and see if he could answer a question here or there, but mostly I let him be until after the podcast had launched, almost finished. But then Dave was in town for the last 4th of July, and he offered to sit with me a minute and meet. I gotta be honest, it was odd and awkward for me. I'd already spent two years trying to get to know this guy on the slide through other people's accounts, brief scattered emails. Now, here he was. While I didn't know Damien, and Damien and I weren't friends, I guess I was kind of hoping it would make Damien feel closer to the surface of the story for me, and it didn't. It was a good conversation. I was able to answer some questions for Dave about all I'd found out since we talked that September. There's plenty to tell, though most of it had already been released on the podcast, so Dave told me a few more stories about Damien he hadn't shared before. There was a time they were using the Necronomicon to try and summon a demon, but... Damien's dad, Skip, came upstairs to find out what was up, and Damien cast him out of the room with a frustrated, get out of here, dad, we're summoning a demon. There was a mutual interest in drug experimentation in high school, and again, the summer they both returned to Warren, Dave told me. Damien really liked hallucinogenics, he said. Acid, mushrooms. They did a lot of them together back in the day, and it led to a sort of bond Dave said was deeper than those he had with others. I learned so much, you guys, from Dave about Damien and how he was in and with the world from an earlier age. It seemed kind of like Dave was just feeling me out with that meeting. And I know that through a screen, it's really hard to tell what I'm actually like. I could be crazy. I could be awesome. You just never know. And it's kind of scary to imagine. I get it. But I was really hopeful that July, sitting by the river, one of my favorite places to hang out when I was in high school... High school Dave and Damien and I all shared just four years apart. The Dave would bloop back in after one of the many quiet, contemplative moments of silence we shared, staring at the sun on the river, for my part, wondering if Damien was a parade person or not. I wish so bad Dave would just be like, fuck it, get your phone out, I'll give you one story on tape. I know I will never be able to deliver these stories like the people who own them can. But I was happy to have met him, at least, and finally to have a face and a vibe to put with the stories I'd heard in the few minutes of one interview I'd seen Dave give police back in the day. 
He looked completely different in 2002 on that taped interview. We all were so different. So damn little, you know, so young. And we all grew up, all but one of us. Anyhow, Dave and I didn't just bullshit around on the shoulder of memory lane throughout the emails. I asked him some direct questions about that Friday and Saturday night, May 24th and 25th, the last times he saw and heard from his best friend. Herzog asked Dave a lot of the same questions, which I'm sure was one of the reasons Dave was hesitant to mess around with me too, completely. Like Stephen, Dave said he'd been through it with them a few times, though to a far lesser degree than Stephen described. That's coming up after the break. We'll see you on the other side, kids. I was recently asked if I had any headshots that made me look less crazy, and I did not. Thank God Phil Gilbert of Just Phil Photography in Warren, PA is a thing. I mean, he's not a thing. He's a person. Never mind. Look, nouns are nouns, and Phil is rad because if you load the experience of having your photo taken and every photo of yourself for that reason, Phil's your guy. Phil will make you smile for real, and here's the thing. He gets why you want the photos you want, so that feeling we're all trying to capture in a physical photograph, that's Phil's thing. If you want a photo of your family that translates easily to a cardboard cutout, you can probably just go to a department store photo studio, if you can even still find one. Best of luck with that, I guess. But if you want to look back on your special day, or memory, or human, and feel that feeling all over again, call Phil. Even if you want to look the opposite of not crazy, he can make you look utterly, utterly out of your mind, too. He's down for whatever. Visit JustPhilPhotography.com. That's J-U-S-T-P-H-I-L Photography.com. All the cool kids are doing it. Herzog went to see Dave on Monday, October 14th at 1.15 p.m. at Dave's place on Water Street in Warren. Here's what he learned. David told me he had known Damien since he was 15 years old. David said that after high school, he went to electronics school in Columbus, Ohio, but he didn't graduate. He uh, worked with Adelphia Corporation in Cowdersport, and, and then he came back to Warren. Uh, David said he was here for approximately one month before Damien was discharged from the army. He uh, said he considered Damien to be his best friend, and they spent a lot of time together between June and December of 2001. Then uh, Dave said that Damien had his friends and I had mine, and we kind of went our own way. Uh, we still saw each other and partied together, he said. And Damien wouldn't go out looking for fights, but someone was bragging about how bad he was. Damien would bait that person into a fight. Uh, Damien usually wouldn't throw the first punch, though. Dave told me they had an apartment from October 2001 to uh, April 2002 on Buchanan Street in Warren. This is what Dave described to me, really similarly. Different apartments after their independent heroes' journeys into the world, divergent groups of friends, sort of buddy comedy road trip experience toward the end there. Really kind of sweet stuff. 
I'd never even thought to ask for Herzog's notes in September of 2021, so as Dave described the entire Damien situation to the PI, it feels kind of surreal to see him on paper, answering many of my own questions in very similar ways. Just kind of spooky, you know? So I guess putting myself in Dave's shoes, I really can't tell you I wouldn't be skeptical of me as well. I mean, I am skeptical of me every day. It's a huge problem, just functionally. That's a different podcast. Here's my point. I think, I don't know, it's been a rough week, but let's try this. I think this is a great example of the privilege of time in this type of case. At 23 years old, with a friend missing and a history of drug use, I'm not sure I necessarily would have shared the New York story with Herzog, and Herzog wasn't really looking for that kind of information anyhow. Herzog didn't just roll up and be like, tell me about your friend, because in order to find him, I'm going to have to try and guess all the goofy shit he did before he went missing, and that's way, way easier to do if I ask you about your friend, Damien, and what he was like, rather than your friend, Damien, and what kinds of drugs he was into. That is, though, what Herzog asked. I mean, pretty much right up front, too. Dave's interview starts on page 26, at the bottom. It's the second paragraph of an eight-paragraph entry, and by sentence 12 of paragraph two, Herzog's basically like, tell me about the reefer and the speed, Dave. Couldn't even buy him dinner first. Damn. David told me that Damien used mostly marijuana uh, because of the cost. And Damien also did cocaine, and he, he liked Ritalin. Dave said they did a lot of Ritalin together, and he said that he thought that Damien and he had become friends through drugs. And uh, he said Damien had been his best friend since high school. I asked David if there was any type of drug that Damien would not do. And he said that Damien would uh, experiment with just about anything. But he wouldn't do anything that involved needles. Uh, Damien liked pills and he would try them just to uh, see what they would do. Uh, he said Damien was a lot of things. But uh, he was not a thief and he really, he really wasn't a liar. And uh, he didn't go out and agitate people. But he would go after bullies. He'd pick a fight with a bully, David said. Something that's frustrating in these notes is the fact that sometimes you know exactly what Herzog is asking Dave, and other times you're not sure what the question was, or where the question ended and the response began. Also, Dave's answer is in ink. It's not alive. We don't know what Herzog asked, and we don't know how he asked it to get the responses that he did, so it's difficult to evaluate those responses without Dave's input. So I'm not sure how to tell you this. No one informed me either when I first read it, but here we go. Let's jump immediately from bullies to girlfriends without even stopping to add a beat or some white space in between, because that's how we're rolling along. Damien did have a girlfriend. Uh, they broke it off and she dated a couple of kids. Uh, Damien didn't like one of them. He thought this kid was bad news. Uh, David said to Ashley... Broke it off with that one, though, and uh, she started dating another. Uh, and Damien liked that kid. He, he thought he was okay. He took Ashley's death uh, really bad. He had some uh, problems either with uh, or about his mother, that uh, she wasn't there for him. Uh, he never talked bad about anyone else in his family. And I don't mean to say he talked bad about his mother, but uh, there was there were problems, he said. He did not get along with his brother until about two years ago. And then they, uh, they became good friends. And uh, David mentioned several other friends of Damien's to me, including uh, Derek Tiffany, John Cawthor, uh, B.J. Greenwald, 
he said Jessica spent a lot of time at Damien's apartment, and uh, so did uh, Damien's friend, Mike. Danica, too, described how Ashley's death affected Damien as she saw it. From what I understood, I thought at the time. How did he handle her death, I guess, as, like, did he change at all after that? Damien? Yeah. Did it, I don't know, yeah. I guess. Did it he make him sad. different? He was sadder? Yeah. Okay. He was sad. It, he didn't like to talk about it a lot. He was, he always got real, like, like, kind of emotional about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, it was kind of a sore subject for him. So, I mean, when you love somebody that much, I think it was like a, he maybe he was in love with her and couldn't have her kind of thing. Yeah, something Dana said that it, it just felt to her like she was the only person who really like could see through and, and I don't know, they had an understanding about one another, just their their nature. Their nature was so similar and she understood him in a way that he didn't have to explain himself. And it was really kind of relieving for him because that was an odd experience for him to have with someone. Well, I think yes. But I still don't... At this point in the interview, Herzog heads into some basic questions about the party Dave went to at Damien Cedar Street apartment Friday, May 24th, the night before Damien went missing. I asked David to give me a rundown of Friday night's party. He told me that a bunch of people were already there that night when he got there. Uh, He said there was a party somewhere in the woods that night, and uh, as people were leaving the party, some of them stopped at Damien's apartment. He said that uh, Mike, Jim Sarver, and Bryce Blackman were all there. Uh, There was some beer and some coke, but uh, little to no weed at the party. Uh, Everybody was asking about weed. David said that uh, he and Damien and Jim Sarver all did some coke, about uh, three lines each. Damien had the the cocaine. Uh, Several people did a line of it, and... uh, I asked him if uh, they did all the coke or if they saved some. Uh, David said that usually when you have it, you do you do it all until it's gone. And I asked him where Damien got his coke, and he said at uh, at Freddy's Bar or the Cornerstone. Uh, Sarver might have had some weed on him, but he wasn't sure. He said that he knew that uh, Mike left the apartment around 4 a.m. with a few other people, and uh, Damien and David stayed awake until about six. Uh, a kid named Brandon went to bed there. He was sleeping in Damien's bed. Uh, I'm not sure when everybody else left, he said. Here's what Dave told me. I was at his apartment one night, and we planned that I would go with him to another party the next day. Something he already knew about, but then the next day I had such a hangover, and he called me around 2 or 3 in the afternoon I think a couple people mentioned seeing him on that day, but as far as I know, nobody saw him after that. It was a small party on, let's say, a Friday. I can't remember exactly what day it was, but I remember Damien talking about plans for the next day, and I think that was also a weekend-type day, so I'm guessing it was either a Friday or a Saturday. It was max around 10 people, all friends or known to each other. Sarver was at Damien's the night I was, along with a few others, some younger kids like 18 or 19. I can't remember super clear the last time I saw him exactly because it was late at night at his apartment. We were all drinking. I remember a weird, silly incident from that night where he was very drunk. 
And in the process of cooking some chicken in his kitchen, he accidentally dropped it into the dirty sink. He was drunk and said, screw it, and was upset because he wasted the chicken. But I was also drunk. And I said, no, no, it's fine. And went and grabbed the chicken and washed it off. I can't remember what happened after that. But the interaction is probably the last clear image I have of him in my mind before I went home that night. And talking to him the next day on the phone, I don't recall him saying where he was when he called because, but I don't remember any background noise or him talking to anyone. I just remember he seemed a bit annoyed that I wasn't coming out like we planned. I always assumed he called me from his apartment, but it could have been from anywhere. At this point, we're about to hear the first mention of something Stephen told me when we spoke early on for this project. Stephen told me that they'd all planned for a big party in the woods in the Hearts Content area. That's that spot at the top of Cherry Grove Road, one of two Damien was supposed to have been maybe partying at that weekend, depending on who you talk to. But that party, Stephen said, was no good come Saturday. Citing rain, which created muddy, unsafe conditions for someone in Damien's situation on crutches with a busted knee, Stephen said they decided to just repeat the Friday night party at Cedar Street instead of following through and hiking out to the woods, which Stephen told me at that time was about a mile off the remote forestry road used to access it. The only problem is he mentions something that's basically like a minefield in the story because Stephen is adamant that the place they were going to in the woods was at the top of Cherry Grove Road. Dave told Herzog that October... They talked about having a party on Saturday night on Brown Run in the woods. David said he left Damien's apartment and uh, he went home and went to bed. Uh, around 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon, Damien called and said because of the weather and his crutches, he wasn't going to go to the woods party. Uh, he asked David if he was going to get the keg and said that the party would be at his house. David said he uh, asked if he got the pound of weed yet and Damien said he hadn't. This was one of the very first details that I glomped onto after talking with both Dave and Stephen. Stephen told me first because I spoke with him first in August of 2021, and obviously my first few questions for him involved as many details of that day as he could remember. It had been raining or rain was forecast, Stephen said. He couldn't remember which, but the combination of crutches, knee injury, mud, and a one-mile hike in was not conducive to a good time. I love this detail. I love seeing it here in Herzog's notes because it's like finding corroboration across 20 years of time without anyone ever knowing I could ever want it. It's pretty pure, you guys. Watch this. Dave told Herzog in 2002 the same thing that Stephen told me in 2021. The weather changed their Saturday plans from a woods party to an apartment party. I know, I know, but wait. It gets more solid. Check this part out. I looked up the National Weather Service almanac data for Warren on May 24th, 25th, and 26th, 2002, just to see if rain was indeed forecast. Warren's weather that weekend was cooler than average for that time of year on Friday and Saturday, May 24th and 25th, with a considerable cooling on Sunday, May 26th. That cooling coincided with an increase in precipitation from 0.00 inches on Friday to 0.01 inches on Saturday and 0.66 inches on Sunday overnight. Plausible to assume, then, that Damien wasn't, in fact, down for crawling through the ANF to drink a beer on a wet log. I'm buying that, regardless of which place he was supposed to be going. Just interesting to note that Dave tells Herzog in 2002 that Damien told him the party was at Brown Run. 
Danica, too, said he told her the party was up by the dam, Brown Run area, during their high ride. Tell me what he was like that morning when you picked him up. Happy. He was happy. Yeah. Excited well, she about was the excited because now they were going to a party. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, thrilled about going to that party. That and um, I'm sure Gibstock, but I mean, he didn't go to Gibstock. I don't think. I don't think it was that year though. I think it was a different year. I think it may have been after that. But um, he was pretty happy. I mean, of course, we were driving around doing stuff we weren't supposed to because we were kids. Yeah. You know, we would have been what 21 mm -hmm. i think yeah something like that um like the fresh newbie drinkers mm -hmm. the day after a huge hangover let's pick people up and go for a high ride yeah know? so let's go smoke a bunch of weed in the woods come back and whatever we split ways and mm -hmm. and that's what it was yeah that's what yeah. it was that's i never never saw him it's so no i remember i remember waving to him saying see you later mm -hmm. You know, and he was walking up his hill to go into his house. Okay. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's all. Yeah. You dropped him back off, and it was like, "I'll see you later," and never saw him again. Yeah. And you know, I remember saying to somebody, "Has, has anybody talked to Damien?" Yeah. Like, where the fuck is he? Yeah. Was this like a couple days after you were supposed to see him? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where the fuck? Like, where the fuck is Damien at? You know, <laughs> because I worked at Perkins at the time. Okay. You know, and of course, like I would work like crazy. Later on, when you guys hear from Sarver, he's gonna tell you the same thing. Party was up near Brown Run. And yet, I still couldn't deal with it. So back in 2021, I reached out to a couple of people who were named as having possibly been waiting for Damien out in one of those woods party spots, either Brown Run or Heart's Content. You guys, this is a cute investigation story, so let me just tell it real quick. All right, so I sent Ben, who had allegedly, at that point, went out to the soaking wet woods to wait for Damien on Saturday night so that they could party together as friends and acquaintances often do. I mean, he needed like three sentences, so I gave, I didn't even count them, probably like 13 just in case three wasn't enough. Boil it down and I sent Ben a message at 11.34 a.m. on November 22nd, 2021, asking, did you go to the woods to meet Damien the night he went missing? Etc. And Ben showed the hell up, like, what, at 11.42 a.m.? And he was like, man, it's been 20 years, and you're asking me for one specific party, and I don't even know if I remember what Forest Road 255 is. Is that Heart's Content? I said, yeah, I heard you and this kid Justin were waiting for him up there, and he was like, whoa, okay, yes, sadly, you can't ask Justin because he's not with us anymore, and that sucks. However, when you said his name, I remembered that, yes, that was when we had the teepee up there for part of the year. That rainy evening is familiar, too. Damien never showed up to that party that night I was there. Most times, I was one of the last few on our outings, but definitely did not see Damien that night. For sure, if I had, I would have filed a report. Also, from what I remember being told to me by friends, he was still in Warren that night at the Cornerstone for a period of time. Um, so I'm not aware of that, but if anyone else is, you should probably text me, like, now. I want to hear that story real bad. It's on my top 10 list of stories I would like to hear right now. Anchor.fm slash let's find Damien slash message. Yeah? All right. Anyhow, I asked Ben, so hey, there's this red car. I'm trying to figure out who owned it. Do you know? Like, is that someone that hung out with you guys? A Maroon DeVille, 93? No, Ben said. 
Nobody I knew back then or now drove a Cadillac DeVille. And trust when I say that I knew a lot of people and what they drove. My group of friends did bunches of parties in the woods back then. We mingled with several other circles of people too. So yeah, that particular car is an absolute no to the hundreds of friends and acquaintances I know. Copy that very complete answer. But then, like two days later, Ben hit me back and was like, actually, I hope you're ready for a groundbreaking kind of day. I found out who owned that Maroon DeVille. It was one of my friends. Her dad gave her that car. She didn't have it for too long. She knew Damien fairly well, and she did see him on his last day. And that, you guys, is how we met Damien's friend Danica, who's been talking to you throughout this episode. And that is how you quietly, quietly just reach out to people and see who will help you reach out to more people until finally you just have a great big old bag of information. And anyhow, Dave went on to tell Herzog. Damien and this Pat kid have been talking for about a month about uh, Damien getting him a pound of weed. Damien didn't like Pat, Dave said, and uh, he thought maybe he was setting him up. Uh, Pat wanted a pound, and that would have cost between $700 and $1,000. Dave said he talked to Jim Sarver about getting it, and uh, he said he was going to get some coke with his money. Damien spent a lot of money on drugs, David said. He said he would uh, get two checks a month, and he would spend about half of that on drugs. David said he tried to call Damien around 5 or 6 p.m., and no one answered the phone. Uh, He thought maybe they went to the woods party. Uh, He said he never went to the house that night. He he, he tried to call him on Tuesday, and no one answered the phone. Uh, Friday, he said he went to the apartment, and that's when he saw all the notes in the door. He said he called Sarver, and he said he called uh, Damien twice on Saturday, and the first time no one answered. Uh, The second time some kid answered the phone. I said to David, Damien and you have both bought drugs from Sarver in the past. If Damien had this kid who wanted a pound of weed, and he had been working this kid for a month, wouldn't you think that he would have gone to Sarver to set something up? David said that uh, Damien was planning to rip the kid off. Uh, he said maybe uh, cut the pound and only give the kid part of a pound. Uh, David said that uh, he was with Damien one night, and they went to the Cornerstone Bar and they played pool upstairs. Damien went downstairs, and when he came back upstairs, he had a bag of grass. David asked me if I had talked with Albert. He said that uh, Albert might know something. I told David I wanted him to get out and talk to some of these people, and that uh, I would be getting in touch with him by the end of the week. Some of the things that David told me today, they didn't match up with what he told the city police. I know you can't see it, but I'm staring directly into the camera right now. Additional information I got from Dave in those emails included that Damien, for some reason, got a check for like $1,500 or something. Might have been something to do with the last money he got from the army. I'm not sure. I always assumed he went to the wrong people to get drugs and he pulled out the $1,500 and they just decided to kill him and take it. Can't really imagine anything else being more likely. A big part of that Saturday party, Dave told me, revolved around him going to get some drugs. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be weed or coke, but I think both were discussed. Dave wasn't shitting when he described his subjective experience of this entire situation as surreal. I've been talking to people lately about who was around Damien that weekend. In terms of, were they a friend or were they an associate? 
Were they neither? Were they both? It's an important relational distinction to draw. Whatever motivated him to be doing whatever he was doing that night has to be taken within the context of his entire social world. So who was Damien close to? His mom, Ashley, his Aunt Dana, his Aunt Anziette, his brother Stephen after the military. Mike was his friend, but Dave had been his best friend since high school, and Danica, that girl Ben sent me to with the red car, wound up being a major, major source. She's been good friends with Damien since fifth grade, you guys. Check this out. It's so cool. So, where, how did you meet him? You said you've known him, you've known him since, like, fifth grade. Well, I went to school originally, um, like, for, like, the first, like, I don't know, like, ten years of my life. I lived in Erie. So, I went to school at, like, um, elementary school in Oak Valley, Gerard, and then, I moved to Warren with my parents because my dad got a new job or whatever. So we moved here. So I started, my first year was in Maine. That's when they started that, like, the first year of fifth grade being in Maine. Yeah, fifth grade or whatever. So that's when I first met him, was in fifth grade. And, like, he was the weirdest little kid. I swear to God, like, and it was, like, the older he got, the weirder he got. But you had to know him. You know what I mean? You couldn't, like... I don't know, I was one of those people that was friends with everybody. Yeah. I wasn't just, like, one slick. Yeah, I know what I mean. Yeah. It seems like he was that way, too. Yeah, for the most part. He could get along with whoever he was with. Yeah, if he wanted to. If he wanted to. (laughs) Yeah. That was the main part. I think his his main main thing was shock value. Like, to get, like, the biggest shock out of, like, whoever he could. Yeah. And I don't know if that goes back to, like, his home life or I don't know. Did he get in trouble in school? Was he a good Oh, my God. Student? He got in trouble all the time. All the time. I mean, he wasn't, like, he didn't fight or anything like that. But, like, I mean, he would do things that would piss teachers off. And they would be, like, on detention, you know, yeah. or whatever. So, I mean, it was, like, the normal kid it's getting in school trouble, yeah. you know. But it wasn't. Prankster stuff. Yeah. Maybe he got into, like, one or two fights. I don't know. I don't remember any of them, really. I don't but, remember him I mean, doing anything really no. outrageous at school. I remember him looking that way and that I same, yeah. you know, impulsive, just oh, like yeah. whatever. Whatever's happening is what we're doing right now. Did he did he ever do you ever remember any encounters with Bible Betty? Somebody told me that they really liked each other actually, and then somebody told me that they fought a lot. Like they would cross the street to avoid each other. <laughs> So it depended on what what Bible Betty's mindset was that day, okay. I guess. Yeah. So like, you know, I do you remember Bible Betty? Mm-hmm. Bible Betty could get ruthless. She was pretty rough some days she, she was tipped off. She could be nasty, mm-hmm. let me tell you. And some of the crap that came out of her mouth was yeah. like, I cannot believe you're talking to a kid like that, you know? And she told me he was going to hell and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. She'd always tell him you're going to hell. <laughs> She'd tell everybody you're going yeah, to hell. Yeah. She told me that too. <laughs> <laughs> I look completely normal. Oh She's my god. Probably not wrong. It's fine. No right. Like, <laughs> Save you a rock. A good old Bible Betty, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. They got into some a couple of different things. We were in school though. I think still in high school when that happened because after high school he was gone yeah you know he wasn't around very long so yeah i heard like a few weeks and he enlisted he probably encountered her right down there on second avenue by the skate park because she used to like to hang out there on second avenue in liberty yep and that's usually where i encountered her so i don't imagine that's where they ran into each other oh yeah god i'm sure (laughs) jesus christ i'm sure (laughs) 
I still some of like his younger like his younger um stories and stuff like that you would definitely if I can I'm still trying to I'm trying to find him and I cannot find him anywhere I smoked a shit ton of weed with him yeah I know that yeah. and I drank a bunch of beer with him a bunch I of know beer. that too yeah so that's all that I know is it, and it's a tragic thing it, it sucks it sucks yeah. And especially to be like 20, 20 years, not... And it's a small town, so I mean, you know that there's a small number of people who know what actually happened, and it's it's bothersome that... Small number of people, I'm sure there's a lot more than a small number, and yeah. You think? I'm sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay. There's more people that know about it than have actually come out to say anything. Who knows who, what, when, where, and why. Right, you know right. What I mean? Well, I mean, I try to picture scenarios, and I'm like, what might have happened? I mean, I can only imagine that if it's been kept a secret for this long, there can't be that many. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he made it to the woods. Who the hell knows, you know? Well, you know, the now lived another 30 on top of it. Damien only got another 12. Yesterday, my daughter told me that someone in her fifth grade class at Beatty Middle School asked another classmate if Damien Sharp was still missing. You remember that really smart guy that told me all about mistakes last week? Well, he's been around since the time Damien went missing, so I asked him, how long do you think it's been? Since enough people were talking about Damien that their kids had noticed the fascination and were also discussing it amongst themselves. 15 to 18 years, this person told me, since Damien has been as large a topic of public discourse as he appears to be today. I think there were a lot of people around Damien that night, but when Janine says in that video that the friends weren't saying anything, I think relatively few of the people around Damien that weekend, or in the weeks leading up to it, were his friends. I think they were mostly his acquaintances, and no matter how friendly they are, an acquaintance is a different relationship to a friend. We'll find out what Herzog learned from one person who seems more associate than friend, and that's Jim Sarver. That story is next week. Smoke is a weekly true crime podcast written and told by me, Stacey Gross, of Two Moms Media. Your producers are me and Brian Hagberg of Your Daily Local. Our theme song is Diddy Six, written and produced by my father, Bob Gross. Dean Wells provided the voice of John Herzog for this episode. If you have information to share with police about Damien or his case, call Detective Tiffany Post at 814-723-2700. If you have stories, memories, or information on Damien or his case that you don't want to share with police, reach out to me instead at 814-230-5855. Texting is the best way to reach me. If you like the show, please leave us some stars, ratings, reviews on whatever platform you're using to listen. It makes a huge difference and it helps get Damien's story into as many ears as possible. Until next week, eyes and ears open. Let's find Damien, you guys. (laughs) 